family. We're so glad you are here. I'm excited to see you here. And if you're joining us online this morning, we are overjoyed that you've chosen to, to tune in with us this morning as we continue, as we move into our worship and go even further into our worship. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 6, beginning in the verse 35. So you can go ahead and turn to that if you would. But first, though, we're going to be going to the Lord in prayer again. First of all, I'm going to be praying for Ben and Christy and their, their return from Colorado. I know they had a wonderful time up there in the snow while we were having a wonderful time here in the snow. <laughs> and he'd even, he'd even told the elders earlier in the week that that morning that we were like four degrees, it was, I think, five degrees in Colorado. So it was, a, it was, a ter- it was one degree warmer in Colorado than it was here. Um, so we are so glad that they're back. And I know it was a two, two weeks of hard work, but blessed work. So we're so glad they're back. Um, we also are going to be praying for another church in the community, and, it's, and Commerce Community Church. Pastor David Ferguson and his family, we're going to be praying for them. Then we're going to be praying for the Baha'i people in India. They number about 11,000 people. Their main language is Hindi. There are zero believers. And in that people group, there's actually no evangelical movement that's known in, in, that, in that area. So we need to be praying for that. And then lastly, we're going to be praying for our time here this morning that God would reveal himself to us through the Holy Spirit. So join me in prayer. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we thank you, first of all, for our ability just to be here, that we are here, Father, that you have guided us, you've protected us, you've kept us safe. Father, we thank you for, for returning Ben and Christy safely to our midst. We really have missed them. Father, this has been an unusual winter in so many ways. Um, we've just gone through a very difficult year. We're moving into, we're into the year 2021. We still don't know everything that that's going to hold for us, but we know that you know exactly what is in front of us and you're going to provide for us. Father, I thank you this morning also for David Ferguson and his role as the, the senior teaching pastor at Commerce Community Church. Father, I pray for David and for his wife Whitney, first of all, that their time together this week has been sweet, it's been blessed, that David would stand before his family and walk before his family to you and for your honor and glory. Father, I pray for that, that fellowship and commerce that you will continue to strengthen them and help them be a beacon for the truth of Jesus in that community. Father, I pray for the Baha'i people of India. Father, I pray this morning that you would send someone or even more to that Baha'i people to be able to show them the love of Christ, to teach them the gospel of Jesus and how salvation is accomplished through Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that even before you send the people there, that you would begin to prepare the hearts of those who would hear and draw them, Father, to Jesus. Father, then I, I pray for us this morning that you would reveal to us the depth of the meaning of Jesus being the I am, the bread of life. He is our only hope and our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, 
What would you know about me if I were to say, I am 65 years old, I am six feet one inches tall, I am a blue-eyed, brown-haired, white-goateed man. (laughs) You would know a little bit about me, but not much. And there's nothing in that that would set me apart from any other of a number of men. Not in this fellowship, there are 65. (laughs) Okay, but here in the community, okay, there's a lot of 65-year-old men. There's a lot of men who have who are six feet one inches tall. There are a lot of men who may have blue eyes, brown hair, and a white goatee. (laughs) So there's nothing distinctive in that statement for me. But what if I said, I am Johnny Morris Bean Jr. from Fort Stockton, Texas, son of Johnny and Marie Bean. What would that then tell you about me? See, that is something absolutely distinct. Because I can tell you, there is not another Johnny Morris Bean Jr. born to Johnny and Marie Bean from Fort Stockton, Texas. I am singular in that. Now, what we're going to be talking about this morning is how Jesus makes a statement that makes him absolutely singular in who he is. As Ben said earlier, this is, going, this, is a, this is a solemn, sober 40 days as, as God reveals through His Word who Jesus is in this Lenten season. It's something that we have to dig into, and it's a joy to be able to do so because there's hope. Now, that's the spoiler alert. Okay, so now let's get into this. Today, our first week of the Lenten season, leading up to Easter Sunday morning, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to be looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus made in, in John. Okay, so we're going to, that's where we're going to be. Today, we're going to examine what Jesus said of himself as, I am the bread of life. And see how that statement in itself sets Jesus apart from everyone else. Past, present, and future. I would invite you to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's Word. In John 6, beginning in verse 35, we're going to go down through verse 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that my Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. 
and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except that he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that no one may eat of it, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. This is your word, Father. This is not something that some man made up. But you spoke this word so that we can have a deeper and greater understanding of who you are, who Jesus is, and what this precious gift of salvation is. Father, we thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Okay, you'll be seated. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Why in the world would he say that? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) Let's look for an answer. To gain a good footing on this question, I have several reference points to begin with to draw this out. Now, where do we begin? We need to begin where Jesus did. In Hebrew school as a little boy, and the rabbinical teachings always went along with what all Moses did and who Moses was and how he delivered them from Egypt and how he fed them bread and manna. Okay. Jesus grew up learning this, hearing this. The people lived on this bread for close to 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. Okay. And apparently it was a very, according to scripture, it was was a sweet bread. It tasted, had a little bit of a honey taste to it. That would have been really nice. But guess what? People got weary of it. They got tired of it. The provision of manna that they had was very, very short-lived. It was good for one day. And one day only. Moses instructed them, as was instructed by God, to only gather enough manna for the one day. Because if they kept more for the second day, it would then be infested with worms and would be no good. So the provision was very, very temporary. They could fill their bellies that day, but then there was nothing for the next day. So while the Hebrew people thought Moses was a great deliverer, a great leader, and someone who provided manna for them, they also turned from him at times and even wanted to go back to Egypt to slavery. See, his provision was less than perfect. His leadership was less than perfect. 
Now in John 6, 31, it says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now while God did provide for his people, it was one day at a time. There was nothing lasting about the meal. It was only good for one day. Then they had to get up the next morning and hope that it was there again. And it was. Because God's love for his people and he provided for them. But it was still very temporary. The next reference point regarding bread actually involved Jesus in this same chapter in John, in the very first verse of John chapter 6. But after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? So Jesus was, he was concerned about this multitude. He wanted to provide for them physically. He had a love for these people. And even though it numbered 5,000 men, as it recorded in Scripture, and that's plus women and children, he fed that 5,000 plus with five loaves and two fishes. He cared about the people. It was a one-day meal or a one-time meal. But he filled their bellies. He even cared enough about his disciples that he said, now go and gather the scraps. Okay. And they gathered 12 baskets. Now, in, in, in the original languages I've read by commentaries, commentators, that word basket at that time described a small basket that they could maybe even wear on their belt. And it was enough food for one day. So with 12 baskets, Jesus provided for his disciples for one more meal the next day. So the, the manna was extended to another day. Okay, so Jesus did that. Now, in Mark 8, we have a second feeding of the multitudes recorded. And at this point, 4,000 people were fed. And Jesus told the disciples to pick up scraps, and they picked up seven large baskets. So you think, okay, well, what, what, what could the seven then represent if it was the 12 was to feed his disciples? And Well, I had heard in the past that the seven was a reference to a large basket. The large basket was enough to feed all of them for one day. So he extended the food for a week. I don't know if that's true or not. Because this week in my studies, I found a number of, of commentaries that stated this may well have been a representative or symbolic gesture of Jesus pointing to the 12 baskets of feeding the 12 tribes, of providing this eternal life, this, this never-ending meal for the 12 tribes. Okay, so what was the seven? Well, let's look in Deuteronomy 7.1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations for you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pizzarites, 
parasites, excuse me, almost said parasites. Okay, the parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when displaced, these seven Gentile nations settled in the region of the Decapolis. Okay, one more interesting fact here. In this second meal, where the 4,000 were fed and the seven baskets were gathered, guess where they were? In Mark 7, 1, it says, Then he, that is Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So the second feeding took place where those seven Gentile nations settled. Now, while it's not clear in Scripture, it's not clearly stated, that's why Jesus did that. I've got a real sense that that wasn't missed by the people that were there. So it may well be, and we don't know, I can't, I can't say this is an absolute, but I'm thinking in my heart. It may well be the 12 baskets was symbolic of the 12 tribes that God promised to take care of them. That extension of that eternal gift would be to the 12 tribes, but then it was also to the seven Gentile nations. That God's provision was going to be for the Hebrew and the Gentile as well. It's a beautiful picture. Whether it's absolutely true or not, I don't know, but it's a beautiful picture for us to hang on to because we're part of that seven. I don't think we have any Jewish people here. I'm not aware of it, but the rest of us are Gentile. Jesus had a plan pointing to a provision much greater than the manna on a day-by-day basis. He had a plan. Let's keep going. Back to John 6. Now, the people followed Jesus because he had fed them earthly things. He had filled their bellies. He showed them miraculous signs. Not just signs, but miracles of healing people. They had seen these things. And it had been a number of generations since the prophets that anyone had ever shown any signs like this from God. So this was something that just grabbed them. But they were hanging on to the earthly things. They didn't know better yet. They didn't know any better. It was coming. But they were so intrigued with Jesus and what he had done, they wanted to make him king. But he knew it wasn't his time yet, so he, not snuck away, but he just went away. And he went to the mountain to pray. His disciples got into a boat to go across the sea to Capernaum. Now the next morning the people got in their boats because they knew that Jesus wasn't there. So they, they knew that they'd gone across the, the other side. So they got in their boats and went to the other side. And they found Jesus there and they didn't know how he got there. They didn't know when he got there because they knew he had gone one way. The disciples went another. And look at what they said to him when they caught up in John 6 verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? See, they didn't ask how he got there. They didn't ask what was going on. They said, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life. That which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. I hear like in so many places, Jesus did not answer the question they asked. Because they asked, when did you get here? He didn't answer that. But he answered what they really needed. The real answer, or the real question of the day was answered because they had set their sights on things of the world and they were laboring for the wrong thing. And there was something that he was about to reveal real soon that he he knew that's what they needed. Okay, one other example of Jesus' seemingly mysterious revelation that of what we need rather than what we're asking for is found in John 4. So just flip back a couple pages. John 4, verse 7. The story of the Samaritan woman, <clears throat> beginning in verse 7 of chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you... A Jew asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, in this, Jesus promises her something that goes beyond our physical need, that went beyond her physical need, that went beyond his physical need. He clearly speaks to her of eternal life. Back in John 6, verse 32, we see see some, some pictures beginning, and it's growing. There's a crescendo moving through this, all right? We're, we're moving to the pinnacle. We're not there yet, but we're moving. Jesus is going to show how this provision of true need is going to happen. In John 6, 32, Jesus does something absolutely unexpected by the crowd. He is setting them up to hear this all-important truth. John 6, 32 and 33, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, two shocking things here. First of all, Jesus told them that Moses was not the giver of bread. Because that was their understanding, that was their teaching. That Moses gave them the bread. No, Jesus said it was God that gave you the bread. So that was, that was a little shake-up in their, in their belief system. But then comes the biggest shock. 
Jesus equated himself with the Father when he said, My Father. No one had ever done that before. And there must have been some jaw-dropping going on at that time. Did you hear what he just said? He used the word my, and then they wouldn't even say God's name. But Jesus said, my father. This was scandalous indeed. Okay, so this crescendo is continuing to grow. If we needed more evidence that Jesus is who he said he was, let's look at John 1, verses 1 and 2. Here it says, the beginning was with the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That word, capital W-O-R-D in John 1, 1 and 2, is referring specifically to Jesus. Now the next thing I want to point out in this before we go any further is, is something else about the word bread in terms of how God interweaved this throughout. I mean, I told Greg a couple of weeks ago, when, when it was almost a month ago, um, the, the elders have been talking about what this Lenten series would be, and Ben asked me if I would do this sermon on the bread of life, and I was like, yes, I love that. I love that word bread throughout Scripture. And then I told Greg, I said, you know, I'm wondering if this is such a good thing or not. I don't know what to cut out. <laughs> There is so much in the scripture about bread. Well, this is one more that I want to look at. In terms of who God is, <clears throat> excuse me, and, John's, and God's vision. As prophesied, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So God even picked the birthplace of Jesus, pointing to him as the bread. Also in the traditional Passover meal, when Jesus spoke the very same blessing before he broke the bread and passed it out to his disciples, this very same blessing had been used for, for around 1,200 years, since the very first Passover. The same words were used. And typically what would happen, the patriarch of the family would find a piece of bread that had been set aside for him before everything got started, he would pull it out, he would lift it up, and he would bless it. And these are the words that were spoken. Same words every year for all of these years since the, since the first Passover. Think of this. He says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Okay, so God even used this traditional blessing to point to Jesus as being the bread. Because we see now, as we look back, we see that there would be someone, that is Jesus, brought forth from the earth, that is from the grave, to provide life. This again points to the fact that we have something, we must have something other than physical food for our ultimate survival. We must have something additional for our provision for eternal life. In Deuteronomy 8.3, <clears throat> and I told Ben earlier this week, he was, 
He was telling me the passage he's going to be reading. Already had this passage written in my notes. Holy Spirit just weaved all of the, the, these two elements together. I just love how God does that. But in Deuteronomy 8.3 it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We don't live by bread alone. It's not just the physical that we live by. But we must live on every word of, the, of God, from the mouth of God. We need that spiritual provision. <clears throat> As revealed in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We must live on every word that comes from God, from the mouth of God. Okay, now the crescendo is built. Now we're to the I am statement. Okay, y'all have hung in there. Great job. Listen, there's something that we're going to see now that's just going to put shivers down your back. It does mine anyway. Jesus has been guiding his disciples and the multitude to be able to hear this very statement that we see in John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is superior in word than was Moses. He was superior than the Torah. What Jesus is going to provide as the bread of life is a provision that is better than has ever been seen and better than ever has even been thought of except by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus had not revealed the entire plan for our salvation at this point in time, but he does clearly reveal that he is the bread of life. When he said, I am the bread of life, he speaks his name. I am. He speaks his name, I am. And then he goes on and says, I am the bread of life. He reveals himself in a very singular, perfect way. And he speaks his name, I am, and, he, and the name that he speaks, then he tells us what he's going to do for us. He promises provision. Not for the physical, but for the spiritual. The spiritual needs trump the physical needs. And Jesus said, this is what I'm going to give you. <clears throat> now, one of the ways to study a passage <clears throat> is to look for repeated words. I've learned this from my brother Ben. <clears throat> and in this passage, there's a number of repeated things. And all of those things are promises and assurances that Jesus made for us and to us. So let's look at these repeated phrases or words. First of all, he repeats the phrase, I am the bread of life, four times. He makes it clear that he is the I am. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. In verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. 
In verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Okay, he wants us to get that he is, I am, and the bread of life. The, the, The name I am is a very personal name that God revealed to Moses to report to the Hebrew people in captivity. In Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. By Jesus using this name toward himself, I am, and very, very personal. He clearly reveals who he is. He's the Son of God. Part of the triune Godhead, the three in one. He is telling them, and he's telling us today, he is the only one who can ever meet our spiritual needs. That's all. That's the only way. The next repeated phrase or idea that Jesus used is to demonstrate how this bread of life comes to us and how it's received. These three verses show us clearly that God is the active agent in our salvation, in our coming to Jesus. And I didn't coin that phrase. I've heard it here for years at Cross Point. And it's true. In verse 37... Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now clearly, since this is God's doing, the choice of God's is perfect. There's nothing that we can say other than that. The Father gives us to Jesus and he will never cast us out. Secondly, the will of God is that Jesus will never lose anyone that the Father has given him. It is absolute. And then the only way Jesus is for the the only way to Jesus is for the Father to draw him or her. To Jesus, and then he will raise us up on the last day. That is an absolute fact. That is a promise that Jesus gives us. The third repeated phrase then is that we have an absolute to hold on to. There is an anchor that will never fail. In verse 35b, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Verse 44b, and I will raise Him up on the last day, is repeated. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. Then in verse 51, 
If anyone eats of his bread, eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus promises that this work of the Father is eternal. Let me say that again. Jesus promises that this work of the Father is eternal. The answer that they needed in that day was as much greater than they could ever even imagine. They thought they needed bread to eat so that they didn't experience physical hunger. Jesus knew what their needs were and what our needs are today. The need was for a spiritual provision of never being hungry spiritually and never being thirsty spiritually. To have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's our need. He reveals that very clearly in John 6, verses 62 and 63. In verse 62 of John 6, Jesus said, Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. See, the only hope that we have for our spiritual needs to be met is through Jesus Christ. And this is no small thing. It is absolute. It is absolute. We have that absolute promise of eternal life with Jesus in heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me or no one comes to the Father except through me. In a world that offers what is believed to be a multi-pathway to heaven, you don't have to go very far and people say, this is the way to heaven, this is the way to heaven, this is the way to heaven, this is the way to heaven. Jesus says, he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Remembering our focal passage today, today, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He reveals to us that he is all we need and all that we can count on for our eternal status. It is through him only that we have a restored relationship to the Father. There is no other way. While the Hebrew people saw Moses as the little D deliverer, you know, undercase D deliverer, And he did deliver them from slavery in Egypt by God's hand. And he was the provider of manna by God's hand, which only lasted a day. Jesus, though, is the big D deliverer, all capitals. I started to have the media team just put the big word deliverer. Just imagine it's behind me unless they did that quick. They're good. Okay. I didn't tell them that. 
But he is our big D deliverer and our spiritual provider as being the bread of life. It is only through him that that happens and that we are saved. It is through Jesus, who is the I am, the bread of life. As we celebrate Lent, remember this. This is a solemn and sober celebration. We need to take a long and good look at our need for a Savior. We've got to come to grips with that. If we've, and, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, really until this week, I've kind of taken that for, I know I've taken it for granted. I'm human. We, we do. We need to refresh that understanding of our need for a Savior. And we can celebrate that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been provided by the Father, our Savior, Jesus, the bread of life. Pray with me. <clears throat> Fathers, we come to you again. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for revealing to us through the work of the Holy Spirit the truth of your word. That Jesus is our bread of life. To reveal to us the need that we have for a Savior. And that perfect provision that you have already made close to 2,000 years ago. And your plan was, before you even spoke light into existence, you had a plan for the provision of our salvation of our being reconciled to you so that we could honor and glorify you father i thank you for this time this morning and i thank you for this truth and i pray that you will give us a blessed burden in our spirits of who our salvation is it's jesus we thank you, Father, and it's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray these things. Amen.